Book Two, Canto Seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer, Book Two, Canto Seven. Guyon finds Mammon in a delve, sunning his treasure hoar, is by him tempted and led down to see his secret store. As pilot, well expert in perilous wave, that to a steadfast star his course hath bent, when foggy mists or cloudy tempests have the faithful light of that fair lampy blent, and covered heaven with hideous dreariment, upon his card and compass firms his eye the maesters of his long experiment and to them does the steady helm apply bidding his winged vessel fairly forward fly so guyon having lost his trusty guide late left beyond that idle lake proceeds yet on his way of none accompanied and evermore himself with comfort feeds of his own virtues and praiseworthy deeds so long he owed that no adventure found which fame of her shrill trumpet worthy reads for still he travelled through wide wasteful ground that naught but desert wilderness showed all around at last he came unto a gloomy glade, covered with boughs and shrubs from heaven's light, whereas he sitting found in secret shade an uncouth, salvage, and uncivil white, of grisly hue and foul, ill-favoured sight. His face with smoke was tanned, and eyes were bleared, his head and beard with soot were ill-bedight, his coal-black hands did seem to have been seared in smith's fire-spitting forge, and nails like claws appeared his iron coat all overgrown with rust was underneath enveloped with gold whose glistering gloss darkened with filthy dust well yet appeared to have been of old a work of rich entail and curious mould woven with antics and wild imagery and in his lap a mass of coin he told and turned upsy down to feed his eye and covetous desire with his huge treasury and round about him lay on every side great heaps of gold that never could be spent of which some were rude ore not purified of mulcibers devouring element some others were new-driven and distent into great ingos and to wedges square some in round plates without an monument but most were stamped and in their metal bare the antique shapes of kings and kaisers strange and rare Soon as he Guyon saw, in greater fright and haste he rose, for to remove aside those precious hills from strangers' envious sight, and down them poured through a hole full wide into the hollow earth, them there to hide. But Guyon, lightly to him leaping, stayed his hand that trembled as one terrified, and though himself were at the sight dismayed, yet him perforce restrained, and to him doubtful said, What art thou, man? if man at all thou art, that here in desert hast thine habitants, and these rich heaps of wealth dost hide apart from the world's eye and from her right usance. Thereat, with staring eyes fixed askance, in great disdain, he answered, Hardy elf, that darest view my direful countenance, I read thee rash and heedless of thyself, to trouble my still seat and heaps of precious pelf, God of the world and worldlings, I me call, 
great mammon, greatest god below the sky, that of my plenty pour out unto all, and unto none my graces do envy. Riches, renown, and principality, honour, estate, and all this world is good, for which men swink and sweat incessantly, for me do flow into an ample flood, and in the hollow earth have their eternal brood. Wherefore, if me thou deign to serve and sue, at thy command, lo, all these mountains be, or if to thy great mind or greedy view all these may not suffice, there shall to thee ten times so much be numbered, frank and free. Mammon, said he, thy godhead's vaunt is vain, and idle offers of thy golden fee, to them that covet such eye-glutting gain, proffer thy gifts, and fitter servants entertain. Me ill besits that in their doing times and honours suit my vowed days do spend, and to thy bounteous baits and pleasing charms with which weak men thou witchest to attend. Regard of worldly muck doth foully blend, and lower base the high heroic sprite that joys for crowns and kingdoms to contend. Fair shields, gay steeds, bright arms be my delight. Those be the riches fit for an adventurous knight. Vainglorious elf, said he, dost not thou weet that money can thy wants at will supply? Shields, steeds, and arms, and all things for thee meet, it can purvey in twinkling of an eye, and crowns and kingdoms to thee multiply. Do not I kings create, and throw the crown, sometimes to him that low in dust doth lie, and him that reigned into his room thrust down, and whom I lust do heap with glory and renown? All otherwise, said he, I riches read, and deem them root of all disquietness, first got with guile, then preserved with dread, and after spent with pride and lavishness, leaving behind them grief and heaviness, infinite mischiefs of them do arise, strife and debate, bloodshed and bitterness, outrageous wrong and hellish covetees, that noble heart as great dishonour doth despise. Na thine be kingdoms, na the sceptres thine, but realms and rulers thou dost both confound, and loyal truth to treason dost incline, witness the guiltless blood poured oft on ground, the crowned often slain, the slayer crowned, the sacred diadem in pieces rent, and purple robe gored with many a wound. Castles surprised, great cities sacked and brent, so makest thou kings, and gainest wrongful government. Long were to tell the troublesome storms that toss the private state and make the life unsweet, whose swelling sails in Caspian sea doth cross, and in frail wood on Adrian gulf doth fleet. Doth not, I ween, so many evils meet." Then Mammon, waxing wroth, and why then, said, Are mortal men so fond and undiscreet, so evil thing to seek into their aid, and having not complain, and having it upbraid? Indeed, quoth he, through foul intemperance, frail men are oft captive to coveties, but would they think, with how small allowance untroubled nature doth herself suffice, such superfluities they would despise, which with sad cares impeach our native joys. At the wellhead the purest streams arise, but mucky filth his branching arms annoys, and with uncomely weeds the gentle wave accloys. 
The antique world, in his first flowering youth, found no defect in his creator's grace, but with glad thanks and unreproved truth the gifts of sovereign bounty did embrace. Like angels, life was then men's happy case. But later ages pride, like corn-fed steed, abused her plenty and fat swollen increase to all licentious lust and gan exceed the measure of her mean and natural first need. Then gan a cursed hand the quiet womb of his great-grandmother with steel to wound, and the hid treasures in her sacred tomb with sacrilege to dig. Therein he found fountains of gold and silver to abound, of which the matter of his huge desire and pompous pride eftsoons he did compound. Then avarice gan through his veins inspire his greedy flames and kindled life-devouring fire. Son, said he then, let be thy bitter scorn, and leave the rudeness of that antique age to them that lived therein in state forlorn. Thou that dost live in later times must wage thy works for wealth and life for gold engage. If then thee list my offered grace to use, take what thou please of all this surplusage. If thee list not, leave have thou to refuse, but thing refused do not afterward accuse. Me list not, said the elfin knight, receive, think offered, till I know it well be got. No wote I, but thou didst these goods bereave from rightful owner by unrighteous lot, or that blood guiltiness or guile them blot. Per thee, quoth he, yet never I did view, na tongue did tell, na hand these handled not, but safe I have them kept in secret mew from heaven's sight and power of all which them pursue. What secret place, quoth he, can safely hold so huge a mass, and hide from heaven's eye? Or where hast thou thy wand, that so much gold thou canst preserve from wrong and robbery? Come thou, quoth he, and see. So by and by, through that thick covert he him led, and found a darksome way which no man could descry, that deep descended through the hollow ground, and was with dread and horror compassed round. At length they came into a larger space that stretched itself into an ample plain, through which a beaten broad highway did trace that straight did lead to Pluto's grisly reign. By that way's side there sat infernal pain, and fast beside him sat tumultuous strife. The one in hand an iron whip did strain, the other brandished a bloody knife, and both did gnash their teeth, and both did threaten life. On the other side, in one consort, there sate cruel revenge and rancorous despite, disloyal treason and heart-burning hate, but gnawing jealousy out of their sight, sitting alone his bitter lips did bite, and trembling fear still to and fro did fly, and found no place where safe he shroud him might, lamenting sorrow did in darkness lie, and shame his ugly face did hide from living eye and over them sad horror with grim hue did always soar, beating his iron wings, and after him owls and night ravens flew, the hateful messengers of heavy things, of death and dolour telling sad tidings. While sad Salino, sitting on a cliff, a song of bale and bitter sorrow sings, that heart of flint asunder could have rift, which having ended, after him she flieth swift. 
All these before the gates of Pluto lay, by whom they passing spake unto them naught. But Thelfin Knight with wonder all the way did feed his eyes and filled his inner thought. At last him to a little door he brought, that to the gate of hell which gaped wide was next adjoining, no them parted aught. Betwixt them both was but a little stride that did the house of Reshes from Hellmouth divide. Before the door sat self-consuming care, day and night keeping wary watch and ward, for fear lest force or fraud should unaware break in and spoil the treasure there in guard. Nor would he suffer sleep once thitherward approach, albe his drowsy den were next, for next to death is sleep to be compared, therefore his house is unto his annexed. Here sleep their recess and hell-gate them both betwixt, so soon as mammon there arrived the door to him did open and afforded way him followed eke sir guyon evermore ne darkness him ne danger might dismay soon as he entered was the door straightway did shut and from behind it forth there leapt an ugly fiend more foul than dismal day the which with monstrous stalk behind him stepped and ever as he went due watch upon him kept well hoped he ere long that hardy guest if ever covetous hand or lustful eye or lips he laid on thing that liked him best or ever sleep his eye-strings did untie should be his prey and therefore still on high he over him did hold his cruel claws threatening with greedy gripe to do him die and rend in pieces with his ravenous paws if ever he transgressed the fatal stygian laws that house's form within was rude and strong, like a huge cave hewn out of a rocky cliff, from whose rough vault the ragged breeches hung, embossed with massy gold of glorious gift, and with rich metal loaded every rift, that heavy ruin they did seem to threat, and over them Arachne hide did lift her cunning web, and spread her subtle net, enwrapped in foul smoke and clouds more black than jet. Both roof and floor and walls were all of gold, but overgrown with dust and old decay, and hid in darkness that none could behold the hue thereof, for view of cheerful day did never in that house itself display, but a faint shadow of uncertain light, such as a lamp whose life does fade away, or as the moon, clothed with cloudy night, does show to him that walks in fear and sad affright. In all that room was nothing to be seen but huge great iron chests and coffers strong, all barred with double bends that none could wean them to enforce by violence or wrong. On every side they placed were along, but all the ground with skulls was scattered and dead men's bones which round about were flung, whose lives it seemed while on there were shed, and there vile carcasses now left unburied. They forward passed, Naguyon yet spoke word, till that he came unto an iron door, which to them opened of his own accord, and showed of richesse such exceeding store, as I of man did never see before, nor ever could within one place be found, though all the wealth which is or was of yore could gather it be through all the world around, and that above were added to that underground. 
The charge thereof unto a covetous sprite commanded was, who thereby did attend and warily awaited day and night from other covetous fiends it to defend, who it to rob and ransack did intend. Then Mammon, turning to that warrior, said, Lo, here the world is bliss, lo, here the end, to which all men do aim, rich to be made, such grace now to be happy is before thee laid. Certes, said he, I nil thine offered grace, ne to be made so happy do intend, another bliss before mine eyes I place, another happiness, another end, to them that list these base regards I lend. But I in arms and in achievements brave do rather choose my flitting hours to spend, and to be lord of those that riches have, than them to have myself and be their servile slave. Thereat the fiend his gnashing teeth did grate, and grieved so long to lack his greedy prey, for well he weened that so glorious bait would tempt his guest to take thereof a say. Had he so done, he had him snatched away, more light than culver in the falcon's fist. Eternal God thee save from such decay. But when as Mammon saw his purpose missed, him to entrap unwares another way he wist. Thenceforward he him led, and shortly brought unto another room, whose door forthright to him did open, as it had been taught. Therein an hundred ranges were and pight, and hundred furnaces all burning bright, by every furnace many fiends did bide, deformed creatures horrible in sight, and every fiend his busy pains applied, to melt the golden metal ready to be tried. One with great bellows gathered filling air, and with forced wind the fuel did inflame, another did the dying brands repair with iron tongues, and sprinkled off the same, with liquid waves fierce Vulcan's rage to tame, who maestring them renewed his former heat. Some scummed the dross that from the metal came, some stirred the molten ore with ladles great, and every one did swink, and every one did sweat. But when, as earthly white, they present saw, glistering in arms and battleous array, from their hot work they did themselves withdraw, to wonder at the sight, for till that day they never creature saw that came that way. Their staring eyes, sparkling with fervent fire, and ugly shapes did nigh the man dismay, that were it not for shame he would retire, till that him thus bespake their sovereign lord and sire. Behold thy fairest son, with mortal eye, that living eye before did never see, the thing that thou didst crave so earnestly, to wit, whence all the wealth late showed by me proceeded. Lo, now is revealed to thee, here is the fountain of the world is good. Now therefore, if thou wilt enriched be, advise thee well, and change thy wilful mood, lest thou perhaps hereafter wish, and be withstood. Suffice it then, thou money-god, quoth he, that all thine idle offers I refuse, all that I need I have, what needeth me to covet more than I have cause to use? With such vain shows thy worldlings vile abuse, but give me leave to follow mine emprise. Mammon was much displeased, yet not he choose, but bear the vigour of his bold misprise, and thence him forward led him further to entice. 
He brought him through a darksome narrow strait To a broad gate all built of beaten gold. The gate was open, but therein did wait A sturdy villain, striding stiff and bold, As if that highest god defy he would. In his right hand an iron club he held, But he himself was all of golden mould, Yet had both life and sense, and well could weld That cursed weapon when his cruel foes he quelled. Disdain he called was, and did disdain to be so called, And whoso did him call, stern was his look, and full of stomach vain, His portance terrible, and his stature tall, Far pising thight of men terrestrial, Like a huge giant of the titan's race, That made him scorn all creatures great and small, And with his pride all others' power deface, More fit amongst black fiends than men to have his place. Soon as those glitterand arms he did espy, That with their brightness made that darkness light, His harmful club he gan to hurtle high, And threatened battle to the fairy knight, Who likewise gan himself to battle dight, Till Mammon did his hasty hand withhold, And counselled him abstain from perilous fight, For nothing might abash the villain bold, Nor mortal steel impurse his miscreated mould. So having him with reason pacified, and the fierce Carl commanding to forbear, he brought him in, the room was large and wide, as if some guild or solemn temple were. Many great pillars did upbear the massy roof, and riches huge sustain, and every pillar decked was full dear, with crowns and diadems, and titles vain, which mortal princes wore, whilst they on earth did reign. A rout of people there assembled were, of every sort and nation under sky, which with great uproar pressed to draw near to the upper part, where was advanced high a stately siege of sovereign majesty, and thereon sat a woman, gorgeous, gay, and richly clad in robes of royalty, that never earthly prince in such array his glory did enhance, and pompous pride display. Her face right wondrous fair did seem to be, that her broad beauty's beam great brightness through, through the dim shade, that all men might it see, yet was not that same her own native hue, but wrought by art and counterfeited show, thereby more lovers unto her to call, nevertheless most heavenly fair in deed and view she by creation was, till she did fall. Thenceforth she sought for helps to cloak her crime withal. There, as in glistering glory she did sit, she held a great gold chain, elinked well, whose upper end to highest heaven was knit, and lower part did reach to lowest hell, and all that press did round about her swell, to catch and hold of that long chain, thereby to climb aloft, and others to excel, that was ambition, rash desire to sty, and every link thereof a step of dignity. Some thought to raise themselves to high degree by riches and unrighteous reward, some by close shouldering, some by flattery, others through friends, others for base regard, and all by wrong ways for themselves prepared. Those that were up themselves kept others low, those that were low themselves held others hard, nor suffered them to rise or greater grow, but every one did strive his fellow down to throw which, when as Guyon saw, he gan inquire what meant that press about that lady's throne, and what she was that did so high aspire. 
him Mammon answered, That goodly one whom all that folk with such contention do flock about, my dear, my daughter is. Honour and dignity from her alone derived are, and all this world is bliss, for which ye men do strive, few get, but many miss. And fair Philotime she rightly hight, the fairest white that wanneth under sky, but that this darksome nether world her light doth dim with horror and deformity, worthy of heaven and high felicity, from whence the gods have her for envy thrust. But sith thou hast found favour in mine eye, thy spouse I will her make, if that thou lust, that she may thee advance for works and merits just. Gramercy, Mammon, said the gentle knight, for so great grace and offered high estate, but I, that am frail flesh and earthly white, unworthy match for such immortal mate, myself well wot and mine unequal fate, and were I not, yet is my trouth plight and love avowed to other lady late, that to remove the same I have no might, to change love causeless is reproach to warlike knight. Mammon enmoved was with inward wrath, yet forcing it to feign, him forth thence led, through grisly shadows by a beaten path, into a garden goodly garnished with herbs and fruits, whose kinds mote not be read, not such as earth out of her fruitful womb throws forth to men sweet and well savoured, but direful, deadly, black, both leaf and bloom, fit to adorn the dead and deck the dreary tomb. Their mournful cypress grew in greatest store, and trees of bitter gall and heaven sad. Dead sleeping poppy and black hellebore, cold colocintida and tetramad, mortal samnitis and kikuta bad, with which the unjust Athenians made to die, wise Socrates, who thereof quaffing glad poured out his life and last philosophy to the fair Critias, his dearest Bellamy. The garden of Proserpina this height, and in the midst thereof a silver seat with a thick arbour goodly overdight, in which she often used from open heat herself to shroud and pleasures to entreat. Next thereunto did grow a goodly tree with branches broad dispread and body great, clothed with leaves that none the woodmote see, and loaden all with fruit as thick as it might be. Their fruit were golden apples, glistering bright, that goodly was their glory to behold, on earth like never grew, no living white like ever saw, but they from hence were sold, for those which Hercules with conquest bold got from great Atlas' daughters, hence began, and planted there did bring forth fruit of gold, and those with which the Euboean young man won, swift Atlanta, when through craft he her outran. Here also sprung that goodly golden fruit with which a contius got his lover true whom he had long time sought with fruitless suit here eke that famous golden apple grew the which amongst the gods false atte threw for which thy dean ladies disagreed till partial paris dempt it venus due and had of her fair helen for his meed that many noble greeks and trojans made to bleed the warlike elf much wondered at this tree so fair and great that shadowed all the ground, and his broad branches laden with rich fee did stretch themselves without the utmost bound of this great garden, compassed with a mound which overhanging they themselves did steep, 
in a black flood which flowed about it round, that is the river of Cocytus deep, in which full many souls do endless wail and weep, which to behold he clumb up to the bank, and looking down saw many damned whites in those sad waves, which direful deadly stank, plunged continually of cruel sprites, that with their piteous cries and yelling shrites they made the further shore resound and wide. Amongst the rest of those same rueful sights, one cursed creature he by chance espied, that drenched lay full deep under the garden side. Deep was he drenched to the utmost chin, yet gaped still as coveting to drink of the cold liquor which he waded in, and stretching forth his hand did often think to reach the fruit which grew upon the brink, but both the fruit from hand and flood from mouth did fly aback and made him vainly swink, the whileas he starved with hunger and with drought, he daily died, yet never thoroughly dying could. The knight him seeing labour so in vain, asked who he was, and what he meant thereby, who groaning deep thus answered him again, Most cursed of creatures under sky, lo Tantalus, I hear tormented lie, of whom high Jove want whilom feasted be, lo here I now for want of food do die, but if that thou be such, as I thee see, of grace I pray thee, give to eat and drink to me. Nay, nay, thou greedy Tantalus, quoth he, abide the fortune of thy present fate, and unto all that live in high degree, ensample be of mind intemperate, to teach them how to use their present state. Then gan the cursed wretch aloud to cry, accusing highest Jove and gods in great, and eke blaspheming heaven bitterly, as author of injustice, there to let him die. He looked a little further, and espied another wretch, whose carcass deep was drenched within the river, which the same did hide, but both his hands most filthy, feculent, above the water were on high extent, and feigned to wash themselves incessantly, yet nothing cleaner were for such intent, but rather fouler seemed to the eye, so lost his labour vain and idle industry. The knight him calling asked who he was, who lifting up his head him answered thus, I pilot am the falsest judge, alas, and most unjust, that by unrighteous and wicked doom, to Jews despiteous, delivered up the lord of life to die, and did acquite a murderer felonous. The whilest my hands I washed in purity, the whilest my soul was soiled with foul iniquity. Infinite moe, tormented in like pain, he there beheld, too long here to be told, no mammon would there let him long remain, for terror of the tortures manifold, in which the damned souls he did behold, but roughly him bespake, Thou fearful fool, why takest not of that same fruit of gold, nor sittest down on that same silver stool, to rest thy weary person in the shadow cool? All which he did, to do him deadly fall, in frail intemperance, through sinful bait, to which, if he inclined, had at all, that dreadful fiend which did behind him wait, would him have rent in thousand pieces straight. But he was wary, wise in all his way, and well perceived his deceitful slight, ne suffered lust his safety to betray, so goodly did beguile the guiler of the prey. And now he has so long remained there, that vital powers gan wex both weak and wan, 
for want of food and sleep which two upbear like mighty pillars this frail life of man, that none without the same endure can. For now three days of men were full outwrought since he this hardy enterprise began, for thy great mammon fairly he besought into the world to guide him back as he him brought. The god, though loath, yet was constrained to bay for longer time than that no living wight below the earth might suffered be to stay. So back again he brought to living light, but all so soon as his enfeebled sprite can suck this vital air into his breast, as overcome with too exceeding might, the life did flit away out of her nest, and all his senses were with deadly fit oppressed. End of Canto 7 of Book 2 of Edmund Spencer's Fairy Queen